This episode of Home Truths was sponsored by Heels, design that lasts a lifetime. It was quite daunting, I have to say. It was a lot of hard work. And I didn't always know if it was going to survive. I was young, I was a woman <laughs> in business, and it, it wasn't easy. From Living Etc magazine, this is Home Truths, a show about the fascinating stories behind some of the most iconic pieces, movements and moments of modern design, revealed by the designers themselves. I'm Pip McCormack, and on the show today, how designer Trisha Guild found herself as a 22-year-old in 1970, single-handedly making the King's Road cool by launching Designers Guild, the textile brand and design studio she still runs 50 years later. Back when I was starting out in journalism, I was invited to the launch of a Designers Guild collection that was being held at Trisha Guild's house. I remember it well, it must have been the summer of 2005, and it was one of those drizzly grey London days in June or July that are always such a disappointment. But I remember stepping off the bus near her place in West London, and the sun starting to peek out from behind its clouds, the pavements beginning to shine in the early evening light, and then stepping into her townhouse met with luscious lime green walls and hot pink fabric. It was like I was transported to tropical climes. Stepping into Trisha's world has, for many over the years, been a transformative experience. For it's a place where colours burst, where vast floral prints bloom, and where creativity can run wild. She is now sold all over the world, has just published another book, Out of the Blue, and recently curated a retrospective of her career, also called Out of the Blue, that's on at London's Fashion and Textile Museum until next spring. Before this interview, Trisha gave me five milestones that she felt helped to get to where she is today, but I'll confess, we didn't do a very good job of sticking to this show's format. For once I was back in her world, hearing her talk, I was enchanted all over again, and I just sort of let myself be transfixed by her talent and passion. But let's start at the beginning, where London was just coming out of the swinging 60s, and as a very young interior designer, Trisha was at the forefront of the scene. Well, it was very exciting. Um, You know, I was desperate to work and to do something that I felt, you know, had, had a voice and full of ambition, which actually I haven't really changed ever. I always feel like that. Um, and I was feeling, I suppose, very creative and wanting to wanting to find my place in the world. And there was a lot going on, you know, it was World's End, King's Road, um, there was lots of, a lot of stimulating new design and new designers, but mostly in fashion, actually. So it was a kind of interesting time. I have such an idealised vision of what it must have been like to be a creative in London at that moment in time. How did it feel? I felt like a very creative energy around me. And I think that that has always been my ambition to keep a creative energy around me because that's how I function best and how I kind of um, think best. You know, it's very challenging. It's always been very challenging. And um, nothing necessarily comes easily except that if you love something and you're very ambitious then you get a kind of satisfaction out of making things happen so I suppose 
I've always had that. Now, you opened your store on the King's Road in 1970. What did it look like when it first opened? Well, it was a tiny part of what we've got now. Um, In a way, the aspiration hasn't really changed. Um, It was... Uh, a small corner shop. I fit, I recovered some sofas because I couldn't have lots of sofas made. Um, I had one sofa which I <laughs> recovered, and I had lots of Clarice clear china and ceramics which I loved. Uh, it was bright. It was it, it was um, I think quite innovative, um, contemporary, and informal. Um, and I wanted to show a lifestyle because I felt if I didn't do that, people wouldn't know what I was on about. You know, I had 30 something fabrics. That was that was the extent of the collection. And I knew that I had to put them in some sort of um, lifestyle. And that word didn't even exist then. really. Well, I mean, so much of what we think of as interior design, I'm sure didn't exist back then. You know, we were coming out of a a decade of, of huge change, but that had started off as very staid and formal and was sort of becoming this, you know, much more relaxed, much brighter, much more bohemian time. Yes. And, and I think I feel like you were at the forefront of that. I mean, you opened on the King's Road four years before Vivian Westwood opened her boutique. So <laughs> you must have really launched into something that perhaps wasn't ready for you or or perhaps you were, you were at the forefront of. You know, it was quite bohemian. It was a, it was a, an eclectic mix. Um, and I had no idea, you know, I just had no idea. I just knew I felt very strongly that this could work. And actually, it was very exciting because people seemed to respond to it, all different kinds of people. And, you know, within a year or so... Um, I had some people from France coming and saying, oh, you know, we love this. Could we represent you in France and the same in Belgium? So it was, yeah, okay, maybe there's a voice here. Maybe I can make this work. Um, So it was very, very exciting time. How was words getting out about you at the time? Well, the press did like it I think you know Kings Road at that time especially far down where we are was a place where people visited actually did they visit there because you know I'm thinking that now but actually um, it was still very arty there were lots of lovely green and stone there were lots of framers and art stores so I don't know I mean word of mouth word of mouth and I think press and then suddenly we had a distribution in Paris and then suddenly we had a distribution in Brussels. And I realized that this could really work not only for retail clients, but for designers. And so this whole idea of wholesale retail became a possibility. And you were already a successful designer by the time you opened the store. You know, you already had your agency with your husband, Robin, up in Hampstead. yes. How did you feel about what you were doing? You know, it, 22 seems so young to have all these things, you know, that you're in charge of and that you're doing. Um, well, it was a challenge. And Robin and I worked really well together. We did a lot of interior design work at the time. And then 
we decided to go our separate ways, but we were really close friends. Um, and suddenly, you know, within a few years, I was, it was quite daunting, I have to say. It was a lot of hard work. And I didn't always know if it was going to survive. I was young. I was a woman, not even, <laughs> in business. And it, it wasn't easy. But um, I think because I had such a, an excited feeling about it, because we'd already started exporting, and I'm very European-minded, I still am, um, and somehow it seemed possible. You know, it did, I, I just had to carry on with it, despite the fact that I was learning all the time. Well, you do mention in your book, your brand new book, that um, the 70s and 80s were not a good time to be a young woman in business. Um, what were your experiences? What challenges did you find at that time? Well, I think it was quite difficult for people to, to take it seriously. Even my accountant was saying, oh, mm, you know, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, do you think this is a good idea? And that made me so mad. That, that really helped me because I thought, I am not going to be beaten by this, you know, just because I don't look, you know, I'm not a chap in a suit. It doesn't mean that I can't make this work. Um, and so it was a real learning curve. And actually, you know what, Pip, life is always a real learning curve. And I still feel like that today. Um, you know, it was hard. I was very ambitious. I had to learn very quickly that I had to be very selective about what I did because I didn't have a huge... Uh, pot of money you know I had to make money to make more fabrics um, and that's always stayed with me and I suppose the other thing that's always stayed with me is that feeling of insecurity and maybe that challenge and, and that fear of failing or whatever makes you extremely cautious and yet you know that you have to make decisions I've got a fantastic team around me I always have had but at the end of the day, you know, you have to have a confidence and a feeling inside you that what you're doing, you believe in. So when you're being selective about your priorities and, yes. and, and being cautious of failure, what were you prioritising at that time, if you remember? Well, it was very, very interesting. I was very good friends with Joan Burstein, who opened Browns. And... And I said, Joan, I've got 60 fabrics here. I can only afford 30. What am I going to do? And she would say, you know, in her very strong voice, my dear, you have to be selective. My dear, you have to be selective. Otherwise, it will not, you know, you will fail. And it's that constant. It's just still the same because we still have, I mean, absolutely more than ever, you know, one has a budget and we have to work to it. So you have to really keep refining, keep looking, and things, and you have to make choices. That's what I mean. You know, those choices are sometimes really difficult. Um, but being selective is one of the most important things. And also, I mean, that inner belief, you have to have that. You have to give it your all. You've got to give it your best shot. You've got to really try for it, and you can't look away. And at the same time, you have to be open and porous to people that are working with you that you respect. Um, 
that's what I'm saying. It's always a challenge. And the, in a way, the more experienced and the larger we get as a company, the more information you have. So that information, what do you do? Do you be ruled? Are you ruled by it? Or do you still use that inner, inner belief? And it's a mixture. Because it's great to have the information, you know. But we didn't have that information before. Um, and I look at it all the time. I don't want to be repetitive. I don't want to, you know, I want to find the language. So I think it's a thirst for that. It's like, that's my painting. You know, even if it's, it's made in the studio, we'll collaborate. But at the end of the day, is that geo in the right place? You know, is it hand-painted enough? I don't know. All those questions are going around all the time. Sorry if I'm being too technical. <laughs> no, it's, it's actually fascinating to hear that the, those questions still stay with you, yeah. you know, all this time on, because I was going to ask about your very first collection in 1976, the Village Collection. Yes. And there were a lot of global influences in that. I wondered if you could just talk me through the process a little bit of how that all came together. Well, I had some um, Indian block prints, which I loved. I just visited India. I loved India from the first moment. Although, you know, it's, it's a demanding place to be. And I loved what I saw. So, and I just felt that those Indian block prints somehow could have a very sort of contemporary edge, albeit slightly decorative. So they weren't plain. Um, and, and so we took those block prints and had screens made from them. And then I colored them in the way that I wanted to color them, which wasn't necessarily the same as, as they were. It was kind of fresher and brighter. So it was kind of quite a strong color palette, all on white cotton. Um, it's sort of bright lime greens, um, oranges and some chocolate colors, but it was against the backdrop of what was available was quite neutral or muted. So, yeah, I took the plunge. <laughs> and as a creative, how do you get your head around the more kind of business elements of these things? Like how to source, how to, you know, how to deal with suppliers, that sort of thing. It was a learning curve. I mean, for the first collection, we printed on the Isle of Dogs. and We printed 30 metres of each. And we went to a really good printer and... It was quite artisan and it, and it was beautiful. Um, but as we grew a little bit, we then went to a different kind of printing. And, you know, I had to learn. I had to learn my trade, learn about it, learn what I could do. And sometimes the fact that I had no training really was, I think, a plus um, because I didn't necessarily think in pattern repeat and I didn't necessarily think, oh, well, I'll never be able to find um, a rotary screen that re can reproduce that. I said, well, we've got to reproduce this. It's got to be faithful to the original. And so we went off to Spain to find this amazing engraver. And, you know, I, I, I gathered a small team around me who were very competent. Um, so on the technical side, it, it that's what I did. And then... Um, you know, employed a salesperson, and uh, when Robert and I split up, I employed an accountant. So 
and I was learning and there were there were good and bad times and at a certain stage in the 80s I asked my brother Simon Jeffries if he because his training was business and he was in Hong Kong at the time um, and I said look you know I think I have the potential for a really strong business here will you come and join me because I need your expertise and did you feel like you were growing clearly there was a feeling of great potential around you at that moment yeah I did and we'd started working in the states you know we were really becoming in a very small way um, we, we had a lot of different countries that were working with Japan people came to us by then and said you know we'd like to reproduce this in Japan or you know there, were, there was quite a lot going on um, some work better than others but there was a, a voice for it and I met Kay Fassett and then started working with CAFE um, which was fantastic I went to see CAFE because I wanted I just loved his knitting and I walked in to the studio and I saw this amazing painting on the wall. I said, I, Cave, I see a beautiful fabric in that. Would you design a fabric? And he said, well, I've never designed fabric before. I said, wait, but it's there. You know, I could sort of see it. And, um, and so he did. And that started working with Cave. And then through Cave, I met Lillian Delavorius. And she started uh, painting beautiful watercolors. And that's where we had to find different kinds of engraving, rotary prints, etc. So it was really exciting. And then I thought, oh, I have to have my own studio. And so I started employing different designers. And, and so one thing led to another. And at that time, then I, I asked Simon if he would join us. And your look has was well has always been and certainly was at the time very colorful very sort of big prints and exciting dynamic pairings i wonder how that was being received by the wider public and press at the time they seem to really like it thank goodness i think otherwise it wouldn't have been here um it was it was having a really good reaction i mean not every single collection was was like that you know it was always it's always been um challenging I think you know when you launch you know once a year or sometimes twice a year now um it's challenging because you, you know you have to have I think we have a language but it has to change it has to move on it has to embrace you know all aspects so, yes, it's, I've never been frightened of colour. I love living and using colour. But, you know, white is a colour. Um, linen, linen is a colour. And so often people kind of mistake that and think, oh, are there only bright colours or, oh, there are only flowers. And sometimes you sort of, you get caught in what people think is your image rather than what you actually do. So two-thirds of our collection is plain beautiful textures um, but there are still people that might say oh yeah those are decorative flowers. Well I was going to ask about flowers because as you say you are so associated with them even though there's so much more to what you do but what has been the, the sort of enduring appeal because it's not just you but many of the collaborators you work with who have incorporated them into their designs and I just yeah. wonder where that comes from. Well 
I've always been a, a gardener since I was tiny. And, you know, I love working in the garden. I love that feeling of the land and the landscape. To me, it's, you know, the natural world is, that's my inspiration. I mean, there are a lot of things that are my inspiration, but that is something that I'm very involved in as growing food, um, flowers. You know, there's a sort of natural beauty that I just can't, that inspires me and nourishes me. So, um, and I think it always has with artists, don't you? I mean, <laughs> wherever you, you know, whether it's a Matisse flower or, no, um, Veronese, you know, he'll, he'll have painted flowers in, in, in some of those wonderful frescoes. I mean, whatever it is, there's all the landscape. There's always the natural world, I think, has inspired creative people. So that's very important to me. Um, and gosh, it's changed so much with digital printing because we can really reproduce. We, we hand painted everything still in the studio, whether it's a geo or whatever it is, we're using paints and inks. And um, now because most, a lot of our work is digitally printed, that can be re reproduced exactly. It's fantastic. So it, as long as it's well done. So it's a really good medium. I just want to interrupt this conversation to tell you a little bit about the range of contemporary home accessories at Heels. From elegant rugs, decorative clocks and cosy throws, they'll add that all-important finishing touch that makes your house feel like a home. From fluffy rugs that add softness underfoot to decorative accents that help showcase your style, the range of designer homeware at Heels will bring colour, texture and luxury to your space. So have a look at Heels.com or any Heels store to find something that's right for you. Heels. Design that lasts a lifetime. And I wanted to talk to you about one of the artists in your, uh, that you've collaborated with over the years, Howard Hodgkin. How did you two meet? How did that relationship come about? Oh, my goodness. I mean, I was like a true, a real fan of Howard's and um, Bernard Jacobson, who introduced me to Howard. And I remember going to Howard's studio and there was just one painting in the studio. And I just sat in front of this painting and... Oh, couldn't believe it. Um, and so we got to know each other. And, you know, he has a love in, of India. All his, he's very inspired by India. His colour palette was extraordinary. It was great, fe great feeling in his work for me. And so I said, look, you know, would you let me? Could I? Could we work together? Would you? And he said, yes. <laughs> And I picked myself off the floor and um, I remember we went to go to the studio and he had just painted what became Large Flower, this beautiful sort of Indian inspired flower head with a leaf. He said, oh, there you are. <laughs> okay, fine. Um, could we have a colourway? He said, you're very good at that. <laughs> Show me what you think. It was fantastic. Um, and so that's what we did. And he did some other brush strokes and some beautiful things, really beautiful. Uh, it was before its time, and therefore, um, I mean, it was loved by a lot of people, but also at the time it was very difficult to reproduce, but we, we managed. We worked with a German manufacturer for that and then kept that for as long as we could, but a few years ago we relaunched it. And this time we printed it digitally and I changed some of the cloths in the background. Um, but it's always been 
just a fantastic thing for me to have done. I love it. I wonder what the benefits that you think are for both the business and for the creative soul of collaborating with people. It's fantastic. You know, but I collaborate with all my team. They wouldn't be there if I couldn't collaborate with them. So whether it's with Kay Facet or whether it's with uh, Tanya, who runs Tanya Sharp, who runs my studio, or whether I'm collaborating with a marketing team because they know what they're doing or our sales team, whoever it is, you know, you, you have a mutual respect for those people and you kind of learn or whether you're just looking at what other, you know, architects, landscape designers, Arnie Maynard, who's, who I've worked with so much, um, you know, the landscape designer he's fantastic and just by looking at his work and his shapes or working with him I can learn something I think it it's a question of being open and interested you know if you're not interested it's not going to happen we're going to take a huge leap forward now in your career um when we are trying to boil 50 years down into five milestones <laughs> it does leave a lot of gaps so we're going to look, jump straight to 2010 but before we do is, what could you sum up the huge changes that must have gone on in the business since when we last spoke about it in, you know, a moment ago in the, in the 80s to suddenly being in 2010? You know, what transformation have you gone through? Well, we've grown hugely, um, which is very exciting. We are, you know, gradually in different countries throughout the world. We're now working in 80 countries throughout the world. Um, I've, I love writing books. Um, because I think, you know, it, it gets to a larger audience and that's really exciting. I was in India, I was in a, doing a talk to one of the schools there and they had my book. I mean, it was in the library and I just thought, well, they don't need to know about colour. <laughs> I'm learning from them. But the fact is, um, you know, it, it was there or, you know, I'm in Sweden and I go past the house and I see our cut, you know, somebody's using our fabric. I think that's amazing. I still can't believe it. So anyway, going away from your point, but it, so we're much more, um, we're in the, the rest of the world. Europe is really important. We opened our first shop in Paris. Um, we then opened um, Munich. Uh, then Scandinavia is really important place. So a, we're selling throughout those places, the Far East, Russia, but also I get to travel to those places, so it's more learning. And, you know, I'm incredibly grateful to all those people that are working with us. Because not, you know, maybe we're not the easy-peasy route because we're slightly, can be challenging. I try to make it easy. I try to show people what I'm about and very involved in every aspect of the creative field so you know we now have proper photos i mean you know at the beginning we couldn't afford to photograph anything um now obviously we you know we have really great photo shoots but those photo shoots to me are really important because it it sets a scene or it's a scene my way we've grown in our retail business hugely but not masses of not lots and lots of stores but king's road is now eight stores we finally linked them all together two years ago which was amazing um 
so that's grown. We have our, you know, online in the UK, which is really exciting for all our accessories. Um, and also many more kinds of products, but always for the home. So, you know, first it was just fabric, then it was fabric and wallpaper, then it grew to furniture, um, bed linen, fabric accessories. So it really embraces all aspects of the home and in the store even more than um, online, for example, because we curate a lot of contemporary furniture. I love doing that. Or vintage furniture, ceramics, one-off handmade. I love the handmade. So, as I said, the, the concept didn't change. It's just much more possible. But I think we've become much more sustainable as a, as a company. That's a very important part of what we're doing. We've changed all our packaging, you know, where we can. We are buying natural fibers. Not everything is natural, but most, you know, that's a huge part of our collection. We've got collections that are recycled uh, threads, which is really important as well. So there are so many more aspects and it's much more complicated. And that's why it was so exciting to, when we were asked to um, work with the Fashion and Textile Museum for Out of the Blue to well, came out. I think my career came out of the blue and that's why we called the, the exhibition Out of the Blue. Yes, because this marks 50 years of your career, doesn't it? And it's on at the Fashion and Textile Museum now. It was a fantastic thing to be able to reproduce a lot of those different looks. And that's what we've done. Um, and our manufacturers throughout the world have, have been really great reproducing some things that we don't have anymore. So it was a very thoughtful time, just as, you know, you're making me think about this now, you know. But putting, curating that and putting it together has been really, really thoughtful, touching um, and a huge amount of work, actually. Tricia, I wonder if you can answer this question that I like to ask all of my guests. Have you ever had a master plan? And if so, how close are you to it? My master plan was to be independent and to survive and to have a voice in what I felt could be a really exciting style. I think, hopefully I'm getting there. <laughs> you know, each collection, I think, am I, no, I, I'm, I think I've got something else to say maybe, or, and I, as I said, if I didn't search for that other thing, the next thing, yeah, I would have lost interest and I wouldn't be able to do it. Brilliant. Now, Tricia, we're going to move on to the last section, which is the home truth section. So quick fire round, quick fire <laughs> questions. <laughs> so, yeah. Tricia, what's your favourite little pleasure? <laughs> um, oh, my garden. And which collection over the last 50 years are you most proud of? The one we're just about to launch. <laughs> I imagine that's always the answer. Um, <laughs> How much Designers Guild do you have in your house right now? It's all Designers Guild, everything. I mean, whether it's vintage pieces that I've covered with our fabric or whether it's you know, our contemporary furniture, it is only, everything comes from the store. What's your favourite holiday destination? My house in Italy. <laughs> and do you have a favourite colour combination at the moment? <laughs> 
could you ask any more difficult questions? Um, you know, I love the landscape. So I use a lot of blue and I use a lot of green. And I mix them together. I think there was once in, once in English saying, blue and green should never be seen. That was not for me. And lastly, how can people see more of your work now? Well, they could, they could buy the new book, because it's called Out of the Blue. Or In My View, which was my house in Italy and London. So they could definitely look at those. <laughs> That's great. Asha, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It was so nice to hear so much from your from your long career so thank you very much you made it fun thank you so much and thank you for listening we'll be back next week with another episode of home truths in the meantime don't forget to buy the latest issue of living etc in the stores now and to follow us on instagram on at living etc uk and me on at pit mccormack see you next time this episode of home truths was sponsored by heels design that lasts a lifetime